play is something that is often seen as something that's frivolous, that's unserious, that's unimportant, and yet that could not be further from the truth. Play is so core to how we connect with each other. It's core to helping us to explore and experiment and to feel alive. Hello, welcome to Active Ingredient, a podcast all about personal and professional growth. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I'm a deeply curious person who's on a mission to help us all come home to ourselves, to truly come alive, and to live lives that we genuinely love. I'm also the founder of Nude Nation, a brand building and PR agency that exists to help mission-driven brands and founders get clear on their why and spread their truth far and wide across media, podcasts, speaking engagements, and so much more. I started this podcast because I was so desperate to find my purpose. I wanted to interview people who I felt figured it out because honestly, I wanted that for myself too. And what I've learned along the way is that the answers are all internal, every single one of them. We find them in the silence. Validation is fleeting if you don't validate yourself first. And the more we nurture the relationship with ourselves and learn to listen to the deep voice inside and actually act from that place, the more the external starts to reflect the internal alignment. I believe that the more we can integrate ourselves holistically, the more whole we'll feel, which is why this podcast is a mix of my greatest loves, personal and professional growth. You can expect conversations that range from how to deal with imposter syndrome or how to build your confidence, as well as tips and tools on how to get your message out there in the world. My biggest wish for you is that you prioritize your joy, see yourself first, and that you come alive every single day. Welcome to Active Ingredient. I am so glad you're here. This week's episode is with Piera Gallardi, who is truly one of the most creative people I have ever met. And before we did this week's recording, we actually did a prep call and we were going over just everything that we wanted to talk about on the show and just the main takeaways and who the audience was and how we can really just make sure that we were giving you guys as much insight and as much takeaway as possible. And in that conversation, we did talk about something that didn't make it to this episode, but I wanted to bring it into the intro because it was about intros. And we were talking about how like it's such our default to... Talk about someone's job or what they do when we're introducing them, right? Like when you introduce yourself or when you're introducing someone to someone else, we always lead with the person's name and then what they do or like what they produce or what like their output is in the world. And I don't think that that's wrong at all. And I don't think that that was like the point of what we were talking about in the conversation. But it was just like an interesting thing to see that we do that because it's comfortable. We can put things in boxes and it makes sense to us that way. But we were saying how when you actually like know the person that you're introducing and you can just take it a little bit further and talk more about them as a human being and some qualities that really like stand out about them as a human, it makes such a big impact. And while it could be just like a little bit different than the norm of just like saying who they are and what they do, I really believe that it goes a super long way. So I'm going to take a page out of that book and use it for this week's intro. I will get to what she does, but I also just want to talk about her essence as a human And I would say that she is definitely a human who I feel in my soul is grounded in what is actually important in life. You know, she has a ton of experience and a ton of backstory. And I think a lot of that shows in the wisdom that she shares with us today. 
And she's just someone who really consciously prioritizes joy in her life. She is a creative visionary and she just feels like bright light. If you don't know who she is, if you look at her Instagram in one second, you'll see how she is purely authentic. She is a full of color, full of life type of spirit. And I'm really just so grateful to even know someone like that. And in addition to everything that I just said, she is an amazing mom to her daughter, Viva, who when she's on her Instagram, I'm like, she's literally my one of my favorite kids on Instagram. In addition to all of that, she is also the co-founder of Refinery29, which is a global digital media and entertainment company. I'm sure you've probably heard of it, but if you have not, check it out. Their content is amazing. And she most recently launched her latest project, which is Wild Things World. And it is an experiential destination for play and reconnecting with your inner child through events and community. And this is just definitely something to watch in the space. It's so needed. I felt like when she was telling me about her project, I'm like, wow, this is literally like something that is so in alignment with the active ingredient mission. And it's an actual like destination, a place to actually like do and explore, you know, what it's like to just play for the sake of just having fun and reconnecting. She is a natural born storyteller and she's just passionate about advocating for play. I'm sure you guys are going to love this episode. There are so many amazing takeaways. I hope that this is also the first of many. And Piera, thank you so much for creating this Wild Things World project. And yeah, with that, welcome to the show. Finally, I'm so excited to have you in the studio in person, in color. This is the most colorful studio that they have. So (laughs) I'm excited to do this with you. And we did a prep yesterday and you were telling me that you were doing this. What is it? Like a workshop or? It's a storytelling show. Okay. So she did this amazing thing in New York. I haven't heard yet. So tell me about it. Okay. So for 10 years, I've wanted to do this storytelling show. It's called The Moth. It's probably the most famous storytelling show at least that I know of. It operates all over the U.S. and they have these incredible storytelling nights and mm-hmm. all kinds of people do it from celebrities to, I mean, it's just a big range. Like people that just go? Like, do you have to be invited to do this? Okay, or? so there's different levels. So there's like the big shows that they do where they'll have basically the best storytellers and it's a mix of people from celebrities and high school and to high school students to fire people. You know, it's a real mix, but they do this event called the story slam, which is an open mic story competition. And that's how you basically get into the world of the moth is by doing the open mic night. And then if you win, you can go on to some of the bigger shows that they do. So, I don't even care about winning, but I've wanted to be on their stage and and just throw my hat in the ring for this show for 10 years because I really love, they have an amazing podcast and they just have really beautiful human stories on their show. And I, and I really admire and value the art of storytelling. So, but for 10 years, I've made different excuses not to do it. Mostly, I thought it was because I was afraid, but it was really because I was strung up on perfectionism. And I kept telling myself that I needed more time to prepare. And anytime I saw a show coming up, I thought, oh, I won't, I'm not going to have enough time to prepare, so I'm not going to do it. And so finally, you know, I'm working on this new project that we'll talk about later Mm -hmm. in the show, but I've been thinking about if I'm going to be the person to lead this, I need to embrace imperfection. I need to embrace being scared and doing it anyway. I need to embrace 
daring to be bad at something. And so I just signed up and I actually thought I was going to prepare and it turned out I didn't prepare at all. I prepared in the cab on the way to the show. And so the, the way it works is you throw your name in the hat and then if they pull your name, then you have to go up and tell a story, but you don't know. So they, and they give you a prompt before? Or? Yeah. So the okay. prompt for this one was Crossroads. So I'm sitting there all night next to my friend Abby and they're pulling name after name, not my name. Wait, sorry. How many people do they choose? They choose 10. Okay. But there was probably 200 people there in the audience and I didn't know how many people put their name in, in the, the hat. Yeah. So yeah, they're picking name after name. Finally, it's they're at the end of the show. There's one more name that's going to get drawn. And I, I was like, it's not happening for me tonight. And I honestly was relieved because... My inner yeah. perfectionist was like, okay, this is great because it wasn't meant to be today. It wasn't meant to be today. That's fine. Now you can perfect. You can work on this story more so that the next time you do it, you'll be even better. And then they called my name. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me everything, like all the range of emotions. And also like, have you always wanted to do public speaking? Cause I feel like that is the thing that people are most scared of literally more than dying. So like, is that something that you genuinely like have always wanted to do or it's developed? And like, now that you have more to say, you want to do more of. I think it's a mix. Like when I was younger, like in middle school, maybe a little bit in high school, I, I did, I was in plays and things like that. And I've always been really invested in living like a big, creative, colorful life. And for me, that has meant stretching myself into mm -hmm. these uncomfortable areas. So putting myself in a situation of taking improv class or just trying new things. So Public speaking actually was something that I used to really not enjoy, mostly because I was doing it a lot for work and I felt very much like I needed to hit my talking points and there was a lot of, I felt like there was a lot of pressure on me to be a spokesperson and so there was, yeah, this rigidity to it that actually didn't really align with like my gifts and my, like how I connect with people. It's actually really funny that you say that. And I want to get back to the moth story for sure. But because I work in the world of PR and, you know, clients on speaking gigs and just like also witnessing other people on stages, it's really like my number one advice to any of my clients or anyone that's going to do it is first of all, I don't like to over prepare them. It's like you need high level things. But if you're someone who's even inclined to speak, speak what's top of mind. You know what I mean? Like right. that's the thing that comes out. And I actually like the people that I've, I've heard of have a transformation with their relationship with public speaking are people exactly like that, that what they were talking about was something that they would break out in hives. Like it just wasn't something that was true to them. They didn't know enough about it or like it just wasn't alive in them. So like to stand there in front of people that are going to judge you and see through the fact that you don't like, it's just like not something that is so true to you. But then when you are talking about something that is true to you, it's completely different. And you actually want to shout it from the rooftops, even though it comes with a little bit, a tiny bit of fear because, you know, it's uncomfortable, but it's different. It's completely different. Yeah. For me, it was, it was also about like this technicality versus like versus play and spontaneity and what our amazing comms team that was very supportive, but they, you know, they got me media training and the media trainer was really focused on me saying, um, or like, or, you know, the delivery, the gesticulation, it was just very technical and it really triggered like my inner critic and that, perf you know, kind of perfectionist yeah. strain. 
And what actually changed it was that I, I had an opportunity. I submitted myself for South by Southwest, my amazing creative assistant, Madison, who's been on this podcast. She and I worked together at the time to develop this talk that felt really true to me. And then we submitted it to the South by Southwest panel picker and it got, I got selected to do a keynote at South by and there was just something about it. The topic felt really alive in me. The venue and the spot was just like an incredible opportunity. And I said to Madison, I said, you know, I don't want to show up the way that I have in the past. I don't, because what was happening when I was speaking is I was basically blacking out. I was so stressed out. I would basically go up on stage, black out. And then when I would come off stage, my memory would come back and then I would beat myself up for all the things that I got wrong. Literally the most relatable thing I've ever heard. It was horrible. I goosebumps because that is like, you're not alone. Yeah. And I'm sure people listening are like, oh my God, same. Like, even if it's a presentation at work, you know? Yeah. It can be so stressful. Mm-hmm. And so what I did is I reframed. I said, okay, I want to be really intentional about this. And like, how do I want to show up? And the reference point that I had was how I showed up for my team meetings. So I would have these creative team meetings every single month for years. And when I first started doing them, I would script it all out and I would have that like, I would be very stressed about like hitting the points and getting it right. But over time, I started to just improvise more. I would know a few things I wanted to say, and then I would just flow with it. I would tell a joke. I would, you know, respond to what was happening in the room. And it just had such a different vibe. So I said, I want to bring that vibe. I want to, I want to have fun. I want to be present and I want to be generous. And generosity was such a huge piece for me too, because I think when we get so stressed out and we're so strung up on perfectionism, we withhold, you know, and the audience is there for you. They're leaning in. They're on your side. They want to know what you have your to say. experiences, yeah. what you have to say, your advice, your stories. And so when you're in that fight or flight mode, when you're speaking, it is so hard to be generous. So and to be like your whole self. Yeah. And- And I like that call out specifically about generously showing up. Yeah. So it's really about generosity. And then also how can I be like with presence too? It's like, how can I be spontaneous, honor my improvisational nature? Because I think when we often when we think about preparation, that's actually about control and perfectionism. Like we think we need to be prepared, but that's really the underpinning of that is about control. And it's so rare that spontaneity and improvisation are valued in that same way. But think about it. Like when you're improvising, you are so in the moment, you're picking up the energy of the room, like you are in flow. Mm -hmm. And that's the most beautiful thing. That's so alive. That's so powerful. That's so connecting. So that's really what I've tried to lean into. Now, my inner critic does not like that. Like even last night when I was telling at the storytelling show, I, you know, I'm sitting there in the audience and my inner critics like, you should have prepared, you should have prepared, you should have prepared. And I'm trying to like in battle, in battle with my inner critic. And I got up there and I just kind of time traveled into my story. I told myself, I'm just going to relive these moments out loud with the audience and have goosebumps head to toe. Yeah. you (laughs) You know, and just like take a breath stand in my place on this stage and share this story that means so much to me. I want to know exactly 
what you told your inner critic? Like, what is the actual thing that is going on? Because this is so incredibly relatable to anyone. The inner critic lives in all of us. Oh, yeah. So, and I think it's like, I think the more that you embrace your wholeness, the critic also gets louder. Like as you get more in alignment, it tries really hard to bring you down. Mm -hmm. And I've tried to make a little bit of peace with her, with the inner critic, because I feel like she's trying to protect me. Yeah. And I'm curious, like when she's loud and really kind of like you're about to get on this stage, like what's the inner dialogue? Yes, exactly what you said. Like I, I try to not, I think when I try to shut down my inner critic, that's when she gets louder, you know, because she doesn't feel heard. Everyone wants to feel heard, right? So I try and just have like a dialogue with myself. It's always hard. Like you're in the moment also. Because, it's like you're in a room. Yeah. Like, but I try and have a dialogue with my critic and like validate like what it is that is like the under pinning like that she's saying that because she wants me to do well she doesn't want me to embarrass Mm -hmm. myself but at the same time you know it's just kind of about balancing it balancing it out okay well I'm captivated (laughs) (laughs) so how did the night end so I told my story and like my inner critic would tell you that I wasn't as prepared as I quote unquote should have been I fumbled in a place or two it wasn't perfect but my more whole self would say I was very present. I really kind of time traveled into these moments in my story. I felt all of the different emotions that the story brought up and I translated that to the audience. And I, you know, I did it. I did this thing that I've been wanting to do for 10 years. I'm I had so the, proud of you. I had the courage to do it. I'm and so proud of you. Why do you think now? Like, why now? I feel like you've always, I mean, from what I've seen from afar, it seems like you've had this, like, I mean, you've had this aliveness in you. Like I think of you and I think color, I think like excited. I I would think as a person from afar that you would want to do speaking at any given point in the last however many years you've been in the space. Why now? I really think it came because of what I'm working on right now. And I'm working on creating experiences and gatherings and, and opportunities for people to free themselves of perfectionism and to connect with their creativity and to play. And so as I do that, I realize like certain places where I'm not actually doing that. So I'm currently in the process of like noticing those things and being like, okay, Piera, if you want to be the one to show people that this is safe and that they can do this, then we got to do it. So I feel like that is the cornerstone of leadership. And I feel like, I mean, from everyone that I know that has worked for you at Refinery, everyone has had just nothing but amazing things to say about you. And I'm curious, like, what do you think is about your leadership style, aside from what you just said, which is so incredible. Anyone that has a chance to work with a leader like that, I think is so blessed. But aside from actually walking the walk and doing the thing before someone else, so that they can see, it's kind of like being a mom. Like mm-hmm. you do the thing, like you try the food and then they f- trust, right? right? So aside from that, which is so beautiful and enough, is there anything else from like your leadership style that you think is why literally every single person that I know that has worked for you at Refinery has just beautiful reviews? Well, first of all, that's so... Nice to hear. I think, you know, for me, it was really important. Well, one play was a really big part of my leadership style. And it was interesting because I, it was something that I at some points tried to minimize because it felt incorrect in the workplace. We can talk about that later, but mm-hmm. definitely 
thinking about how I show up and if I'm asking people to do something, knowing that I need to model that, I need to be able to do it first. Not necessarily something technical, but more like, I get what you're saying, like the essence of it. Like you you have to show up as like that thing. Yeah. Totally. I get what you're saying though. Like if you're like in IT, like you're not going to go and start fixing computers, but like it's the way that you show up. I think it's like... It translates to everything, right? Yeah. And that every role layers up to the bigger mission. Right. You know? Well, I'll tell you a story because I love to tell a story. So I don't remember at what point exactly it was during our business, but I would say we were about like six years in and we had a, I was managing a small creative team and it was my birthday and our art director, Isabel, had these bracelets made that said WWPD, what would Piera do? And it was a sweet thought, but I was actually mortified because I thought this is the last thing that I want. I don't want everyone to be doing their jobs thinking about what would Piera do. I want them to be aligned in what our values are, what we're trying to accomplish. And I want them to absolutely embrace their amazingness, their ideas, to trust their intuition and to do what they would do, not what I would do. And so after that, that became like a real mission of mine was how do I create the structure? How do I help people to understand why we're showing up, what we're on a mission to do, what our goals are and empower them to bring their ideas to the table. And then incorporating play was hugely important to, I think, my unique leadership style. And so often we see work and play as these binaries, like Mm -hmm. on the opposite end of the spectrum. And what I've always seen is that play creates trust. Play helps us get out of our tunnel vision and into bigger thinking. It helps fuel creativity. It helps reduce stress. So I really tried to incorporate play in a lot of different ways into my process, you know, bringing humor, bringing improv exercises, creative exercises. We would do team high fives. Like there was just a lot of play that I tried to incorporate into my leadership. And then I think being compassionate was and is very important to me, you know, trying to take that time to understand where people were at, what they were going through, not rush to judgment and to try and find solutions together and not bulldoze people. And I think it was, it was hard at times. Like there were times where I had a vision of something I was really passionate about and I wanted everyone to be on board with and execute. And then I would realize that people weren't on board with it. And that was always a really interesting thing for me was sort of how do I, how do I navigate that? How did you navigate that? I'm curious. Well, I think of this one example. So we started this, what I called the anti-stock archive very early on in Mm -hmm. Refinery where basically we were noticing that stock photography wasn't as representational as Mm -hmm. we wanted it to be. It wasn't, didn't represent like women's expansiveness Mm -hmm. in the way that we wanted our imagery to. So we started creating our own and it was also creatively not exciting. And, and so we started building our own stock photography archive. And then a bunch of years into doing that, we had the opportunity to work with Getty to actually create a stock photography collection that anyone in the industry could use. And I was really excited about this because I thought, 
we're on a mission to shift the representation of women. So this partnership could really help us to do that in a much bigger way. And my team was not excited about it. And at first I felt annoyed. Like I was like, you know, you're, you're like, I want to do this. Just do it. I'm the boss, but that's not how I roll with my team. So I ended up, you know, asking questions. I think curiosity is such an important place. Like instead of rushing to judgment, like how can you ask questions that help people to consider where they're coming from, consider you like, Mm -hmm. and like also consider your perspective. So I asked them, you know, what would need to be true in order for you to want to do this? And I love that question because it helps people to say, you know, we would need to make sure that these images couldn't be used by a diet company because we don't want these plus size women to be positioned in this way where their weight is something that is a negative. They said we would want to make sure that they had really important things to say that we then negotiated into the contract. And and probably made it even more powerful. Yeah. And I feel like that's just such... Again, first of all, this is like the third time in the interview that I have goosebumps. (laughs) But I feel like that's just... Like leading with a curiosity, I think is a great takeaway. Like actually, and that question that you posed, I feel like allowed for them to do the internal process on why they had that gut reaction to not do it and also gave them the opportunity and for you to see why you hired them. Right. Yeah. You know, like why are they on your team if they're saying no to an idea of yours? Like that's also like a point for you being able to, again, like say, oh, I could trust myself on the team that's around me. Like they're thinking 10 steps ahead. Yes. That's why they're here. Absolutely. You know, yeah. I love that. I'm, Have you always been a natural storyteller? Like, is that innate in you? It's part of my family upbringing for sure. Tell me more. Who, how? <laughs> so my my mom's side of the family, my grandfather and my uncle were big, like tall tale tellers. Okay. So they love to, yeah basically, you know, BS their way through a story and see if they can trick everyone (laughs) into believing it. And then, yeah, I remember like as a kid writing family, like I got really into writing our family stories because there were just certain stories that my family always told. So what was little Pierre like? Like what was your, what was your essence? Oh, I feel like little Pierre had so many different phases, so many different interests, but I was playful, definitely playful. I was creative. I loved doing a lot of different things. I really loved walking on the beach and collecting sea glass. I loved making miniature golf courses out of blocks with my brother. I loved to draw. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of little interested. Yeah. Were you always like a colorful, a colorful person? Yes, always a colorful person. Yeah. From kid to like teenager. As a teenager, I was kind of like a rainbow bright. I love that. Do you think? Like a 90s rainbow parade. I can't. Well, that's kind of what you are still. I guess so. <laughs> so. Do you feel like along the way there was ever a point where you lost the connection? Because I don't think that we ever fully lose it. I just think that it gets cloudy. And I'm curious if you ever had that moment in your journey where the play was a little bit lost or like if there were ever moments of burnout and like being able to see that there wasn't much creativity. And if so, how did you come back? Yeah, I think, you know, life ebbs and flows, but certainly 
I think a place where I sort of lost some touch with my playfulness was as we were starting to grow refinery and we were bringing in more people with corporate backgrounds that were more senior than I was and that, you know, spoke a lot of jargon and, you know, talking about things that I didn't understand. And I felt like a kid at the adults table. You know, I just remember sitting in these rooms and it was like, I felt like I was like in Charlie Brown where like all the adults were like, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> and I didn't know, you know, I didn't, yeah, I didn't know KPI what people were talking and, about. Oh. And I started to really, really doubt myself. And I doubted if I was the right person to be in my role and if I needed to replace myself and, you know, had all these, you know, painful thoughts and, as a result, I, I, my first reaction was to try and make myself more serious and study up on these terms and stop being so playful. And I was kind of withering on the vine as a result. And I ended up, I ended up getting to this place where I, fortunately, I was able to work with a coach at the time, this amazing coach, Katya. And she kind of encouraged me to actually do the opposite. She was like, it's not about dialing yourself down. It's about dialing yourself up. So she was like, you're a curious person. Why don't you just embrace that and ask questions in the meeting? And I remember I was like, I was like, okay. And then I'm sitting in the meeting. People are saying all these jargon words. I don't understand what they're saying. It wasn't just about jargon. It was mm-hmm. also like often I just didn't even understand what, <laughs> what they were trying to communicate. And... I was like, okay, here we go. Everyone's going to see what a fraud I am and laugh me out of the room, but I'll ask a question. You know, what does that term mean? What do you mean by what you're saying? And I just started asking all these questions and this really interesting thing happened. No one laughed me out of the room. And actually what I saw was that people started to lean in to hear the answers. And after the meeting, people would come up to me and they would say, wow, thank you so much for asking that question. I really didn't know what they were talking about. And so instead of damaging my credibility, it actually boosted my credibility and it became a cornerstone of how I moved forward. And I would start to ask questions that I knew the answer to because I just knew that there were people in the room that didn't, weren't going to raise their hand and ask. And so I would do that all the time in team meetings, in, you know, executive meetings, just because I was like, this is actually how we get to be on the same page and is by asking these questions and by clarifying again and again and again. This is part of why that's your reputation, by the way. The fact that you knew the answer and that you were asking the question for the people that weren't brave enough to ask it or didn't feel like they could like that. I'm telling you right now is a huge part of why that's incredible. And I hope that anyone listening that feels like inclined, like to be in a room and to do that for someone else is that's the most beautiful thing ever. So like, I'm like emotional thinking about that of like the girl in the room who like doesn't know, you know, you know, I think that's like about the generosity, you know, you need to be generous. And for me to ask the question, if you know, it was like, okay, fine. People, Right. It's okay for me to do this. Like I have the position of privilege here to like ask the question. So I'm going to do it. So you found in like the leaning into the curiosity and leaning into like the actual things that you were good at brought the playback. Like it brought your. Yeah. So it was like, I learned a couple of things from this coach that I worked with. And yeah, one was like, yeah, basically leaning into basically leaning into the things that made me me 
as a way of doing things that were uncomfortable and were harder. So I think often we can say like, oh, this is just how I am. And that's a sort of way of not growing. But what we can do is say, this is how I am. And I'm going to use this basically as like my security blanket as I go into this next thing. So I started to to try and do that to like utilize, like, for example, I remember another big turning point for me was like with negotiation. I thought negotiation was really hard assed. It was not generous. It was not kind, compassionate. It was just like my way or the highway slammed on the phone. And I started to approach it with using my powers of vision, like my ability to use like imagination and color and storytell so that I could share with the other person this world that I wanted to build with them until they were nodding along and they were like, yes, I want to build this. And then I would use curiosity and compassion to say like, okay, I only have X and I know, you know, you've said you want Y, what can we do here? You know, and just like that, this different style all of a sudden, you know, allowed me to do something that had felt really uncomfortable. I actually was having really amazing results with this, you know, that way of negotiating. And it was so much more aligned for me. So that became a real practice was like, okay, there's something that I feel really uncomfortable about. You know, why does that make me feel really uncomfortable? And how can I do it in a new way that brings in the things that I'm gifted at, that I feel really confident in the things that connect me with other people. And it's really, it's like that simple, but I think that that act of even being able to check in with yourself, because some people just are like, they're in that negotiation and it's just not going the way that they want. And like you said, you just slam the phone and that's it. But like the fact that you can even check in physiologically, a pit in your stomach or your throat is tight or whatever. And no, something about this doesn't feel like me or doesn't feel like it's in alignment. How can I like asking the question, how can I is such a strong takeaway for anyone listening. Like there is another way to do it. Yeah. There is a thousand percent another way to do it. And especially if it's mutually beneficial, you'll likely get an outcome that is going to benefit both parties. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, so often we think there's like a right way to do things. Right. And that's usually the way, you know, yeah. I mean, so, so much of what we've seen is really through a certain lens and there's always many ways to do something. And we have to kind of, it's sometimes hard to remind ourselves that because there might just be one sort of way that we've seen or heard about. And so I always try and challenge myself too, when I get into that thinking of like, this isn't the right way. It's like, Okay, well, who told, who told you that? And ben Easter, our mutual coach, he's challenged me on that so many times because right. I it's a pattern that I just reference. I always am like, yeah, but like this. And he's like, you're acting as if there's like this thing that's outside of you that has been written in stone right. that is your destiny, that is like completely out of your control. But it's absolutely not out there. It's like anything is something that's workable from the inside out. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I want to get into all things... <laughs> Everything you're like all about your new project. We haven't even touched it. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> tell me. I know. I feel like we're definitely going to need a part two, but I want to hear about Wild Things World. I want to hear why this project and what people can expect from it. I know it's in its early days. So maybe we'll do a part two down the line, but I want to hear why. Yes. And why this. So I think probably at this point in the interview, it'll be (laughs) self-evident why, but I will tell everyone a bit about what I'm working on. So I 
started a new project called Wild Things World. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but I know why I'm doing it. So essentially, I wanted to create a set of experiences, products, gatherings for people that fuel courageous, creative play. And because I think that there's so many people lose touch with their creativity, either because it wasn't something that was valued in their family or at a certain point, they had some terrible wound on their creativity. Like the other day, I was talking to someone whose dad told her she should only lip sync, never sing because she had a bad, he said she had a bad voice and she had never sang. And so many people, you know, have those moments where they disconnect from their creativity or they believe that, that creativity is not their thing or they weren't naturally gifted with it. And so I am really interested in how do I create space for people to explore and express their creativity without having to be good and also space for people to play. You know, play is something that is often seen as something that's frivolous, that's unserious, that's unimportant. And yet that could not be further from the truth. Play is so core to how we connect with each other. It's core to helping us to explore and experiment and to feel alive. And so many people I know are, are so burnt out. They feel dead inside. They feel disconnected. Apathetic and, is the word I've been hearing a lot. And Just apathetic. Like numb numb. And so I know that sounds like a very big lofty goal, but, you know, essentially I want to create this space to help people to connect back to that part of themselves, that magical, magical part of themselves that got lost somewhere in the adulting. Again, this is the now fifth time I have goosebumps, but I am so grateful that this exists. I feel like I've told you before, but this is like so in alignment with the active ingredient mission, which is to help everyone come alive. And I do find that like we equate play to like going out and drinking or like we equate play to like doing this extravagant trip somewhere exotic. And it really just like how every single day we work, right? Why is it not prioritized at that same level when like, we're literally here to be in joy. Like that is our birthright right. and work with something that came along the way, you know, Yeah. yet that's not how we view it. So I feel like what, what you're doing is giving people permission and it's giving them a place to do it. Cause mm-hmm. I think that, I mean, hopefully this inspires a generation to like, I mean, we definitely want to go to wild thing world events, but that yeah. like, it's part of being. Yes. You know? Yeah. That's actually one of my first focuses. I've been leading these play breaks that I've been doing Wednesdays at noon. And because play, I love purposeless play, but play can also be very purposeful. And it is actually something that this isn't what I'm like the most interested in, but it does, you know, it has been shown to boost productivity. It does help you come up with better ideas. It does boost innovation, creativity, like all these things that people also want in their work. And yet so often we're just plowing through our work. We don't give ourselves any kind of break, maybe a break to like scroll through our phone, which is Walk around the block yeah, while looking at your phone. Yeah, yeah. Or walk <laughs> around the block looking at your phone. I mean, the walk is good. Yeah. But I want to help people too to like have some tools in their toolbox for when they're feeling stuck. They're feeling they're, they need a break in the day. They're kind of spiraling. What um, are like two or three tools that we can give the audience? Like if they're they're like me, check, 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 yeah. like apathetic, numb, yeah. just like not feeling it. What are some things that we can give them to just try? 
Okay. Well, first, also like Wednesdays, let's do a Wild Thing World event. So some resources, I would say some exercises that I love. One is I have a personal practice of writing myself notes. So I call them my love notes to self, but I think so rarely, it's actually pretty rare that we check in with ourselves. And also something that, that I used to do that really didn't serve me was that I used to really think that being critical of myself was what drove me to be good. And I had this revelation after like a real crash that I had that I needed to work on being self-compassionate, but it was very, very hard for me. And and the idea of like self-love was just so foreign. So I started this practice of writing myself notes and trying to write myself a note as though I was writing it to a loved one. And it was actually really interesting because I started sharing them on Instagram and people were like, wow, you have such an amazing partner, partner goals. And I was like, yes, I want to be partner goals to myself. I'm not going to say it anymore on the podcast (laughs) because I sound annoying, but like literally. So that's something that I really enjoy doing. So the way that you do it is to first you kind of just take a moment, close your eyes, do a body scan. Like how do I feel head to toe? Is there anything hurting? Am I tired? Am I anxious, like what's going on in my body right now? And then also in my mind, what thoughts are cycling around in my mind? What's going on? So first I check in with myself. I sort of get my bearings like in my day. And then I write myself a note as though I was my own loved one. So it's like, hey, Pierre, you got woken up three times in the night last night and you're feeling so tired. Please do something nice for yourself today remember that today might not be the day to climb the highest mountain. Why don't you pick three things on your to-do list, get them done and go for a walk. So I'll just write myself and it depends. Like some days it's like, you know, the energy is always different, right? Mm -hmm. But I really like that practice. It, It feels awkward at first, but it's also so tender to actually... And also, I think so often we're waiting for, I know like as a parent, often I feel like I'm waiting for acknowledgement that's never going to come from anyone because no one sees what I'm doing every day for mm-hmm. my child. So to take the time to acknowledge myself, to say like, wow, that was really hard or like, wow, how beautiful that you did that for your daughter is so powerful because it makes me feel so much more resourceful. Like that I'm not waiting. Yeah. I'm not waiting for someone else. I don't need to wait for someone else. I can do that for myself. And that is so that I just find that to be really powering and centering. That is such a powerful tool. Okay. So notes to yourself. Notes to yourself. In the beginning, I'm curious and we need to. (laughs) I know. I am curious. So when you, when you started doing those notes to yourself, like, did you believe them? Cause like I've definitely done like mantra affirmation stuff. And I think in the beginning, now I thank God I got to a place where like I'm believing the things that I'm saying to myself. In the beginning, I had a hard time. So I'm curious, like when you're writing these notes, did it always feel like, like it resonated with you or was there? Yeah, I only write things that I believe. I actually remember talking to this optimism doctor and she was saying that if you write a mantra that you don't believe that there's actually like a backfire that happens. So you really have to believe it. Otherwise, it doesn't stick. Otherwise, it doesn't stick. It doesn't stick. So I write them the way I would for a loved one. So I write them generously and kindly, but I'm not saying like, you're the most amazing, you know, you're the most amazing mom in the world or whatever. Like I, 
I see you. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm writing like, you know, I'm writing like, that was really sweet that you did that. I absolutely love that. Okay. Give me one more. Okay. I'll give you one more. I'm going to say a shakeout. So I think creativity is so much more physical than we think. Processing emotions, regulating our nervous system, it's all very physical. So often we're just like sitting in one place and looking at our screens. So I think getting up for a minute even and doing like a deep breath in, a loud like shaking breath out, stomping your feet, shaking your arms and legs. Like I even do this thing where I like like breathe out and like dust myself off, like thinking about like what I want to like expel. And it's just very, I just find it very centering, very therapeutic. And when I do that in play break. looks liberating. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I mean, it looks ridiculous and no, but it feels so good. And like, I think so often we're so confined by like being composed, you know, and it's sometimes you just need to be like, sometimes you you need to run like Phoebe. Yeah. Sometimes I'm jealous. (laughs) Like sometimes I'm watching my daughter and I'm like, okay, this is Freedom. This is how we act before, you know, yeah, we're before, socialized. Our, before we're socialized, before our frontal lobe is fully developed, before <laughs> our regulatory system is fully developed. But we like learn to compose ourselves so much. And I think that that is so constricting. The death of the. So of the sometimes you just have to like be wild, you know, and just like be. I love it. Let it all, let it all. Okay. Out. So it's every Wednesday you're every doing Wednesday. one. Yes. Okay. So and we'll there'll put be a, a lot more, there'll be a lot more things. We'll do to a come. part two yes. for sure with next steps on all things that yes. you're doing. I am subscribed to literally everything <laughs> that you're going to be doing moving forward. You also, did you start a Geneva? For? Yes. We have a Geneva community too, which is all okay. about play prompts, people sharing what they're working on in every state of imperfection and I celebrating each other for that. I um, love that you guys were. We're going to link everything. Like I said a million times, the active ingredient community is this community. So I think that there's so much that we can do together. Come and that play. they would love. Yeah, I feel like I'm going to come play. So come if you guys want to come play with both of us. I love it. What is the, I want to close out the podcast with this question. And I'm so excited to hear your answer. Out of all of the things that you do for play, what is the thing that makes you feel most alive? Dancing. Yeah. Definitely. How, like, give me, like, set the scene. Like, just you by yourself, like, out, where, what's the vibe? For sure, I feel the most alive when I'm dancing. I think it can be really anywhere. Sometimes it's just having a little dance party with my daughter. But certainly the most is, like, out with loud music and just, like, release it to the dance floor since I was, you know, since I was a teenager. I think that... Dancing is the most cathartic thing. And also during the pandemic, I got trained in teaching this cathartic form of dancerism that my friend Debbie Atia started. So also just like anytime I have the opportunity to teach that or practice that, it's like I feel very alive. On these Wednesday plays, is that ever one of them? Yes, I do dance. I'm doing dance tomorrow, actually. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, I mean, this is releasing in two weeks. So So I'll do it again. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Let's do it soon. All right. Where can people find you? We're going to link it. But is there any specific place that you prefer them go? Uh, I guess Instagram and TikTok. Awesome. Instagram and TikTok. That's my more confident version. All right. For Piera or Wild World World Things? Every time I say Wild it, Things like, World. Wild Bo- Things World. Both. Piera Luisa. That's me. Oh, wild, it is? And Wild <laughs> Things World. That's my new endeavor. 
Yeah. I love it. Social is the best. Working, working on the website and all the other stuff. Cannot wait to see it all come to life. Or Geneva. Thank you so much for being here. (laughs) Well, we'll be on Zoom for these plays. Okay. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. This was such a fun conversation. That was so incredible. You are, you're a light. You really are. You're a light. I mean, I feel like it takes one to see, it's like, takes one to know one, you know? We're like a light or glowing. <laughs> I love it. Also, like to close this out, like, did you go to the next round of moth? Like, are you going to be like a mother? A moth? I signed up for next week. Stop. <laughs> I can't. All right. Well, outlaws is the theme of next week. Outlaws. I don't know what I'm going to tell. I know. I don't even know what that means. Like something that you did that was out of the law. Is that too? It's like, interpretive. Okay. Is that it's too It's interpretive. Wrong? I was thinking it might be the time that I, like, it might be me storming out of Sunday school. Might be my outlaw moment. Okay, you guys, part two. We're going to get Pierre's storytelling yeah. on that one. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. This was amazing. Thank you so much for making it all the way to the end of the episode. You have no idea how much it means to me. And I really do hope that you left this conversation feeling lighter, more in tune, and with some tools to apply to your own life. Please feel free to reach out to me via DM on Instagram. I would absolutely love that, which I have linked in the show notes on any feedback or guests that you want to have on. And if you do have a second, I would really appreciate you giving the podcast five stars on Apple Podcasts and a quick review. It really helps getting the podcast in front of more people like you. See you next week.